Greetings to everyone watching and listening to this. Welcome to Jezuba Talks, a podcast dedicated to sharing compelling stories of hope, determination and humanity. Introducing science to children at younger ages can greatly expand their science perspective during the highly formative years. But many school science classes devote little or no time to students actually doing science. Imagine the progress that the world can make in eradicating ignorance and meeting the challenges of a burgeoning world should children have access to creative approaches to science. Hello, I'm Paige, here to speak with a gifted astrobiologist, Lev Horodisky, who is working to transform science education to better meet the challenges of the 21st century. Lev is an education innovator with a strong interest in science and cross-cultural education. He spent 10 years developing unique digital science education experiences for Arizona State University. Before that, he experimented with unconventional assignments for his students during his geoscience and astrobiology doctorate at Pennsylvania State University. Dr. Lev founded Science Voices in 2019. Lev is currently a Fulbright scholar at the University of Campinas in Brazil. Welcome Lev, absolutely honored to have you on our podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Are you what is called a scientist educator hybrid full-time? Yes, I started off in the hard sciences working in the laboratory on various research projects, uh but I always found myself drawn more towards education and explaining science to others, not just uh what we've discovered about science, but how the process actually works. Right, great. and you say ditch the jargon right and you teach students to distinguish between observations and assumptions what is that's true? correct so a lot of what we do when we teach science is we talk about the scientific method and creating hypotheses and testing them and how they eventually become theories Uh, but the problem with that whole line of discussion is that those words don't mean much to anyone outside of uh, hardcore scientists. Uh, for many people, hypotheses and theories are equivalent to guesses, which they're not. Uh, and I found that in trying to teach the process of science online, uh, when I was teaching at Arizona State University, it became important to meet people where they were. And so I started I noticed I started changing the vocabulary I was using to not scare my students away uh to get them to engage with the idea that the observations you use in building hypotheses are more than just numbers uh, and they could come from a wide range of experiences and that what we're really doing is we're not really testing hypotheses we're testing assumptions and uh we end up uh, creating models that have a variety of observations and assumptions in them and uh hypothesis is just one of those models that has a lot of assumptions in it but you don't need to do anything special to construct one right and uh, in a in a time when uh, most students are making assumptions and they are told not to make assumptions i think uh, your uh, observation over here would uh, be a breakthrough for educators as well It's critically important I think because everyone makes assumptions about how the world works around us and there's nothing wrong with making assumptions 
what we want to do with these assumptions is we want to test them. We want to test them on a regular basis to see whether they're correct or not. Uh, so when we tell students not to make assumptions, we're basically telling them not to think too deeply, that uh, take our word for it, this is how it works. And what we really want to do is we want to encourage students to make assumptions, but also develop the necessary skills to test them to see if they're correct or not. That's right. Uh, would you say that time constraint is a factor in uh, where science education lacks in terms of it being imparted? Yes. The problem with a lot of science education is that there's a lot of content that students need to know. And so we tend to spend a lot of our time focusing on teaching that content and the current state of knowledge. Uh, often to the detriment of how we got to that state of knowledge, especially at the college level, there's this assumption that uh, you picked up how science worked in primary school or in high school. And it's not something that we need to teach you uh, that we can focus on the higher level uh, skills, the higher level content, uh, the more details. Uh, but it turns out a lot of students uh, come to college without actually understanding how the process works. And what I'm trying to do with a lot of the work I do is try to blend this content information that's critical for uh, specializing in these fields uh, with this observation assumption approach, testing how these ideas come to be so that students in picking up the content also learn how that content is how it was discovered and how we verify it. Um, so isn't this more of an after-school activity rather than an in-school uh, activity? Is, is that what you're saying, that you need more time? We don't necessarily need more time if we cut back on the amount of content we teach. Uh, as science teachers, as, as any teachers, uh, we are often very excited about the materials that we teach. And so we feel compelled to tell the students everything. Um, but often it's better to do more with less, to cut back the amount of content you teach and teach it in more detail and teach the thinking skills. Because if the students learn the thinking skills of how we assemble this knowledge, how we test it, how we determine what's right and what's wrong, you can apply that to any content that you didn't have time to pick up. Lev, you work uh, globally with communities. Uh, efforts to improve science literacy and science education continue to face many challenges. What are the ways that you're helping communities uh, achieve a level of science education? So currently, Science Voices works with communities in the U.S., uh, in the U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, in the Caribbean, which is a U.S. territory, um, Brazil, Ukraine, and Indonesia. Uh, so that's where our projects have been focused for the past few years, mostly because it's places where I've lived and worked. And what we're working on, first and foremost, is teaching by example. Uh, so working with innovative teachers that want to try something new and showing them how can you use role-playing games in your classroom? How do you help your students uh, interact with their communities? How do you think about digital education and digital resources that you have in a way other than replicating what you do in the classroom? Uh, so we work a lot with teachers 
to help empower them to do something different. Uh, because oftentimes, especially in the ed tech sector, there's this compulsion to go into virtual reality and augmented reality and say, oh, this is new, this is exciting. Um, but the teachers often aren't along for the ride. And so if you can't convince a teacher to use this in the classroom, then it doesn't matter how cool it is for the student if a teacher doesn't have time to learn it and doesn't feel uh, any incentive to use it because it doesn't actually make their job easier or improve their job. So our, what I mostly do is work with teachers to understand what their needs are and design things that they need uh, to help them uh, to help them do what they already want to do in the classroom, just do it in a better, cheaper, uh, more futuristic way. Wonderful. I can totally relate to that. I was teaching in a school earlier, and uh, by the time one software I learned, you know, by the time I learned one software and I learned how to operate the smart board, for example, and then teach it to uh, the class, there's another thing that's coming up, and, you know, I have to relearn some of these things. So uh, that is something that, you know, a, a teacher has to constantly either spend time on the lesson planning or spend time in learning new technology so that she's able to teach that to the students. And think about how that may work in an under-resourced part of the world. If you are working in a school with a lot of resources, it's very easy to pay for seminars and for new technologies that you can retrain teachers on how to use. Uh, but if you're working in a place that doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have stable internet, and the teachers have very few resources to work with, asking teachers to completely redo what they've been working on with technology that they don't have time how to learn how to use and that they don't have uh, money uh, to pay for becomes extremely challenging. Absolutely. So glad to have somebody on the teacher's side. Uh, so you're 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 uh, having global classroom exchanges, virtual exchanges uh, with uh, US and Indonesia. That's correct. In our GreenWorks program, we have a role-playing game uh, where the students role-play as diplomats of various fictional countries, and we use that to teach basic science uh, and basic governance uh, to help students understand how information about the world gets translated into policy and have students actually do that in the context of their various countries, whether they're centralized powers or decentralized powers. And during this activity, we often have, um, currently we're running it in Brazil and we're going to be working in the next weeks or so with the, with American students in negotiating a solution to climate change in this fictional world. Um, what can they do in their countries to combat climate change when they have internal politics that they need to manage in addition to global challenges? And so for the students, this becomes a very rich experience because they get to see the perspective of American students, and I'm talking from the perspective of Brazil now where I am, and then for the American students, they're role-playing as foreigners, but they often behave very much like Americans. So to be able to role-play along with people who live and live in, learn in other parts of the world becomes a very enriching, um, becomes a very enriching learning experience. And we're hoping to expand that in the next year. Well, that's wonderful. Which other countries that you're looking for to expand? Um, so currently we're working with Ukraine, Indonesia, America, and Brazil. Uh, we've had some interest from groups in Scotland and 
in South Korea. Uh, so we're going to see how we can actually adapt this program for the high school setting uh, as part of uh, environmental and ecological clubs, um, to, which will require some adjustments, but it will be an interesting experiment, I think. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, that's just amazing, actually. I'm very excited. I mean, though I'm not teaching anymore, but <laughs> this is something that really excites me. Now, you have an impressive board of directors. Uh, your nonprofit, Science Voices, has a political scientist, has a class topper in computer science, a woman to watch in 2020 nominee, and a global product strategist. What do these people bring to the table? So what I like about our board of directors is that they bring unique perspectives. Um, in, in building the board of the organization, I tried to make sure that I would surround myself with voices that were not my own. Uh, so coming from different perspectives, different backgrounds, different cultures, and different experiences so that our skills add together and play well off of each other. I, I really didn't want to uh, surround myself with yes men or yes women that think all my ideas are the greatest ever and they're just there to approve them. I want pushback on some of the ideas that I know are just bad or that will have trouble scaling up and to redirect those resources when they, when they catch them. And uh, how often do you meet or how often do you plan to strategize? We meet three times a year. So we typically follow the academic calendar. We meet at the beginning of the fall semester, the beginning of the spring semester and the beginning of the summer semester. Um, to plan out what we want to do in the upcoming semester, what are the priorities, review um, the progress that we've made in the previous semester, where we might need to uh, redirect our efforts, uh, which projects we may need to back burner, which ones we might want to promote. Um, so we do that about three times a year. We initially tried four times a year, but we found that since a lot of us are involved in academics, it just became easier to follow the academic schedule. Okay. <laughs> Right. Uh, I notice you write a number of blogs and very extensively written blogs. How do you find the time, one? And uh, it's mainly about reflecting upon uh, what you are doing currently and talking about how people uh, or the environment reacts to what your uh, plans are. So I read the one about, uh, you know, challenging digital literacy. Uh, the issues that you faced with digital literacy. Could you tell us more about that? Or you could also tell us about your blogs. Yeah, so I try to write about my experiences in teaching on the Science Voices website uh, with the idea being that um, I've worked in a lot of... I started off very heavily in the digital realm and I've moved back into in-person teaching. And so there have been a lot of experiences that haven't really gotten out to, um, to the broader community. A lot of the work that I did in uh, digital education became very internalized and we kind of stopped sharing what we were doing and the insights we were gaining with other teachers. So the idea of the blog was to start getting those uh, experiences and those insights out to other teachers who may benefit from it. 
Um, and I especially wanted to keep that up as uh, in 2019, when I started moving from university to university in various countries as part of a three-year plan or so to work around the world, one of my friends suggested that uh, since I didn't have much else to do, um, I had left my job and I didn't really have any uh, strong connections left to where I was living, uh, that I just travel and work in various institutions around the world because what better way would there be to understand the challenges they face than by living it? And so I thought that that would be good to reflect on as I worked in all these various institutions to talk more deeply about the challenges they face, how I interacted with the students, what insights I've gotten. And I still need to do that for uh, my Brazil experiences. I haven't had much time to do that, uh, but I do have a series up there um, on my experiences in the U.S. Virgin Islands and the Caribbean, uh, teaching physics there. Um, on Indonesia, even though I was there for a short time before COVID broke out, I still got some really strong insights into working with, with uh, an Indonesian institution and then some of the work I was doing uh, when I was still in Arizona. Um, let's talk about your projects. Uh, you already spoke to us about Greenworks and the model that it works on. You also have another project called Agavi. Yes, the idea for Agavi came about during the pandemic when I had to come back from Indonesia. I was originally supposed to be there for six months, but had to leave after about a month and a half. The problem I had, even in that short period of time when I was in Indonesia, was that all the digital teaching tools that I was used to working with in the U.S., none of them work there. A lot of them required a high-speed internet connection. Uh, they required a computer. Um, they required an always-on connection. And on the island where I was working, Ternate, in eastern Indonesia, I was paying maybe a dollar per gigabyte. And I had to work mostly through my uh, smartphone. Most students had smartphones. And a lot of these digital technologies are not really developed for smartphones. They're designed for a bigger form factor. And often we wouldn't have internet in the classroom. And so I felt, I felt handicapped in that I couldn't use any of the digital tools I got used to, um, I got used to using. And a philosophy that we had um, when I used to mention this at my old job was, hey, maybe we should start thinking about how we get what we're doing out to all these various classrooms. And the general attitude was, oh, they'll catch up. We need to be thinking ahead. And it turns out that a lot of places are not catching up. That became especially apparent during the pandemic, where all of a sudden, if you're paying one gigabyte, uh, uh, $1 per gigabyte, well, in Eastern Indonesia, that's very expensive. And you ask a student to come on to a Zoom call, which can easily chew through that data fairly quickly, it suddenly becomes very expensive for them to participate in their education because they can't afford the bandwidth. And so the thinking came about, how could we do this simply um, uh, more simple? Uh, make digital systems that work in the smartphone form factor are more interactive that encourage teachers to use the phone as a partner in education rather than a portal to content and do it in a way that is cheap so that uh, we're not costing the students a lot. We're not costing the teachers a lot. So we've been working for the last few years to develop this. I'm working with volunteers in Romania and in the U.S. and occasionally in other parts of the world 
to build a functional prototype, hopefully by the beginning of next year, beginning of 2023, uh, to start uh, testing with teachers. Because there are a lot of places where the teachers don't need VR. They don't need AR. They need something that lets them see what their students are doing in the online space and something that can monitor what the students are doing. Uh, are they setting up the experiment correctly? Have they gone to the right location? Uh, have they measured the angles correctly? And give them feedback just like that. And it's easy to do if you have a small uh, group, uh, but if you have like 20, 30 students you're trying to keep track of in the field or in the lab, um, it becomes very difficult to make sure you're catching everyone's mistakes. Absolutely, yes, right. Uh, also talking about teachers, uh, I find it difficult to access global workshops or seminars or, you know, these professional development um, things that happen. Um, I, I've, I've seen them happen in the U.S. and I haven't seen much of that happening in other countries. Unless you have a great network, unless you know somebody who's done that uh, professional development course, only then I get to know about it. Uh, can this be made easy or accessible to most educators? That's an interesting question. Um, that seems to be the problem with a lot of conferences and workshops. They're very focused in the developed world. Uh, and in the developing world, it becomes harder to access these networks. And oftentimes when you try to replicate it, uh, it becomes uh, at least in my experience in working in um, a lot of places in the developing world, there is a mimicking of the European and American structures without understanding why those structures are set up. Uh, so there's often a race to publish a lot. So you get your publication metrics up uh, without understanding why why you're publishing, that you should be talking about important ideas and not just uh, salami slicing your research into 20, 30 papers so that you can um, uh, talk about your metrics. Um, so it's an interesting question about the uh, teacher workshops. Um, I did run, right before the pandemic started, I did run one in Ukraine, and there was a hunger for... Uh, from the Ukrainian teachers and knowing what to use. My challenge in running that workshop, though, was a lot of it was you could use this tool or that tool or this tool or that tool. And a lot of the response tended to be, well, those tools are all very expensive and I can't afford it. And so I'm, um, I was thinking a little more deeply about how we run these kinds of workshops. Um, but that's been difficult to do with the pandemic. But it, it's an interesting thought on how we can develop this better. If there's a need, it would be very interesting to explore because it was one of Science Voice's original projects that I haven't picked up, mostly because a lot of the teacher training I've integrated into Greenworks and will eventually be integrated into Agave with the idea of it's difficult I, I find that it's difficult to show someone all the cool things you can do in the classroom if they also don't have access to the tools or good examples. And so the approach that we're taking now uh, through Greenworks is to really think about, okay, if you want to use a role-playing game in the classroom, rather than me telling you you can use a role-playing game in the classroom, why don't we teach it together so you can see how it's done? So if you want to do it on your own, you can do it afterwards and you don't just listen to a two hour seminar and then you're on your own. Uh, but it's an interesting idea to explore 
explore more. I'll have to see if I have the time. Yeah, you need to find something like that because you know I've been through that and I have uh, I had a tough time looking for more of these professional development courses. I did attend two of them. I had to travel at my own cost uh, to attend these. And uh, you know, unless you are in the network, you don't really get to know about the other courses. So this is maybe one thought that I leave you with. Okay, um, I like that uh, thought. Lev, <laughs> what are your plans for the next three years? Uh, for the next three years, I'm working on staying in Brazil at least for a few years longer, uh, so we can really help some of these projects take off. I think it's a good place. Uh, Greenworks has found a good reception here, uh, so it'll be good to uh, run it again. I'm hoping that with uh, Gabi coming online soon, that we'll have a diversity of classrooms we can test here from uh, from schools in the neighboring area all the way out to the deep rainforest where we might have a lot of smartphones but no internet connection. Um, that's going to be an interesting project to work on. Um, but overall, what I would really like to do over the next three years is get Science Voices on some good footing so that it can scale up, uh, expand the kinds of uh, projects that we do, and really solidify the teacher training, um, solidify the projects we're doing, improve the teacher training that we do so that we can start having uh, good transformation in the places we work and start expanding beyond uh, the places that we work right now and start taking what we've done to new places that are interested in it. Lovely. Uh, I remember having interviewed another founder of uh, Ira Kambi, uh, also in Brazil. Uh, also working in the field of research and preserving the natural rainforest. Maybe uh, you could look us up there in that podcast. Maybe you could find a connection there. That could be very interesting. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Lev, are you up to a rapid fire? Sure. All right. Okay. Uh, what is more effective, governmental or educator change? Could you repeat that? What is more effective in changing science education, the government or educators? I think educators. They're the ones where uh, the innovation is taking place, but you need to find the right educators who are doing innovation and use them as seed points to effect change across institutions. Okay. Is there a dearth of talent or there's a dearth of opportunity? I think there's a dearth of opportunity. Teachers are often under-resourced in time, in money, uh, sometimes in training as well. Uh, so I think there's definitely a dearth in opportunity. So plenty of talent out there. Yes. Okay. Uh, technology in education or you prefer the books to impart education? I think that's a no-brainer. That's actually a tougher question. It depends on how the technology is used. Um, I see technology being a good partner to what a good teacher already does, but too often technology is used as a replacement. And so it ends up being less effective than books. Uh, so technology, when it's used the right way, uh, by innovative teachers. Lovely. Very nice. Okay. Uh, virtual or in-person classes? It depends, I think. Um, in-person, I think, has... I've enjoyed the in-person a bit better. 
Virtual is usually done poorly uh, because it's uh, done typically with Zoom and done with lectures. But there are very good virtual courses you can do if you have the right platform that are potentially more effective or at least as effective as in-person classes. So I would say in-person until people start doing virtual right. But we need the right tools for it, which often don't exist. Right, you're giving very uh, diplomatic and uh, very uh, impressive answers. <laughs> All right, the last one: uh, STEM or STEAM in uh, you know inculcating scientific observation and reasoning skills. Uh, definitely STEAM. Um, I think that the arts are a way of expressing understanding that hits at a different level. It hurt. It hits the feelings, uh, your values, uh, it hits something deep inside that just factual knowledge doesn't quite hit. And there's a reason that arts and sciences are usually together in colleges, that you have the College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, they're two sides of the same coin, and arts help you appreciate what science discovers and may even help you give more insights uh, and, and think about things in a different way than a straight scientific mind can think. Lovely, beautiful. And lastly, Lev, share a mantra that you can help with, I mean, uh, that the world can do with to have a better science education. Is there one mantra like that? Uh, the mantra I like to use and I like to tell my students as well is that you only have one hill to die on. Choose that hill carefully. Lovely, beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Lev. That was a beautiful talk. Uh, I feel energized and positive after knowing about the work Thank that you. you are doing. And, you know, I feel like there's hope for science education with people like you around. Keep doing the good work. Thank you. It was great chatting with you. That's Lev Horodisky for you, ladies and gentlemen. Do visit his website, Science Voices, and spread the word. See you in the next episode with yet another extraordinary person making a difference in this world.